Welcome to the 2020 end of year MMA roundtable. I do this each year. Usually I do it with Toronto based reporters because I like to do something in studio, but of course COVID has prevented us from seeing people. So thus I am doing this remotely and wanted to get a bunch of people on the West coast since I don't get to see a, a whole lot of you. I know Mike Bond is usually in Toronto. He's in Vancouver this time around. Ba uh, Mike Bond of MMAJunkie.com. We've got Mark Raimondi, who's uh, in Los Angeles of ESPN.com. Brian Campbell of CBS, who is uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, covering uh, one boxing fight or another, like he always is. Los Angeles. Los San Angeles, Las Vegas, somewhere, yeah, somewhere yeah. where boxing is happening this weekend. And uh, we've got Sean Alshadi in Arizona of The Athletic. So thank you guys for joining me. We'll start off with the fighter of the year, or sorry, the fight of the year. Uh, I think this one comes down to two fights, but we'll see what everybody has selected. We'll start with you, Mike Bon of MMA Junkie. It's uh, Zhang Wally and Yoani and Jacek. I mean, I was cage side for that one. I think uh, Mark Ramondi might have been sitting next to me for that one. And that was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Them walking past us on press row, Yoani and Jacek's forehead. I mean, I'll never forget that image in my mind. And just what they gave us for five rounds. Absolutely incredible. I know Figueredo and Moreno put on a great fight. But for me, being there live, that just takes the cake. All right, Mark, you're up. Do you agree with the guy you're sitting next to? I do have to agree. Maybe, maybe that is some bias because we were K-side, but that fight was absolutely just ridiculous for five rounds back and forth. Uh, as good as Figueredo versus Moreno was, and it was really fantastic and probably fight of the year in most years, I have to still go with Zhang and, and Ioana. Brian. Yeah, let me let me just say it again. Uh, being there can certainly uh, be a, be a bias, and I want to give a shout out to the to the men's flyweights as well as uh, Hooker and Poirier had a fantastic five round classic. But there was a special sort of unique moment in this women's fight where, like, I realized they were willing to leave it all in the center, and that's a cliched thing. Like everybody fights to win, I'll fight to the death. No, they were they were ready to leave it all, and uh, it was humbling, and it was actually scary to watch live. And I think that's when you know, mixed with it being a title fight, that it's it's a slam dunk for your for your fight of the year and the best female fight I've ever seen. Sean, do we have a consensus? Yeah, I'm gonna make it four for four. I I as well was there, and in my mind, that's the last fight I saw live because I don't know that I count Izzy versus Romero, and I think that definitely makes a difference. But also, you have to point out the fifth round. I think the fifth round for me in particular will tip it over the edge because. As we saw over the weekend, the fifth round of Figueredo Moreno, they were a little exhausted, which you can kind of understand. They took a little bit of the gas pedal off, whereas these ladies uh, just went full bore the entire way through with Joanna having that ghost of Mark Hominick just sprouting out of her head. That's the best women's fight in the history of the sport. That's probably one of the best fights in the history of the sport, period. And for me, that's easily the fight of the year. For the record, Mark Hominick's still alive. But I will say that you do bring up the most prevalent point, which is that fifth round of uh, Figueredo. And Moreno not really delivering to the uh, level that we saw Joanna and uh, Zhang get to, especially with Joanna with that gigantic hematoma going through that fifth round as if there was nothing there, but uh, a fantastic fight. And uh, now we'll move on to fight of the year. Uh, sorry, fighter of the year. I've got that wrong on both uh, of these intros, but fighter of the year. I think it comes down to maybe two, three candidates. Uh, Sean, I'll let you go first. For me, this was tough. I mean, I think really... Uh, both men made it very difficult in, in the final pay-per-view of the year. Obviously, we're talking about Kevin Holland and Davidson Figueredo. It's really what you favor most in these type of conversations, right? 5-0, and oh, but they're all unranked opponents, even Jacare, even though you know there's uh, a little bit of an aura around him, versus 3-0-1 oh, in four championship fights. I lean towards the latter. I give it to Figgy. Uh, he, for me, is the fighter of the year. What he was able to do over the course of the year, 
really just bringing the flyweight division back alive and making it feel relevant and making it feel more important and vital than it has in years. And then ending the year with the quickest turnaround in championship history. And that, that masterclass that we saw, even though it comes out to a draw that to me takes it. Uh, but it is a very, very close fight. Ryan. Yeah, I tend to favor, or I always favor, really, title wins, important wins over activity. In this case, it has to be Figueredo. And by the way, quick retrospective, last year, so many people got it wrong. It should have been Israel Adesanya and not Jorge Masvidal, and I will go to my grave arguing that. Adesanya had another good year. Jan Blahowitz had another good year. But what Figueredo did, not just saving the flyweights, as Sean sort of intimated, but climbing the pound for pound list in a rapid, quick amount of like, time. He's out there finishing dudes. And he delivered a fight of the year classic at the same time going 3-0-1. I mean, this was a, a potential star turn, and he had swag for days to carry it off. So he's scratching every potential box for me. Mark? Yeah, I have to really agree. And, and to me, Davison Figueredo had the best 2020 year that you could ask for, right? Because it wasn't just a clean year and there's nothing clean and straightforward and streamlined about 2020. So he missed weight in his first fight this year, still beat Joseph Benavides, then got the rematch, beat Benavides again to win the title. And then in his final fight of the year, it was a crazy draw where he went to the hospital until 2 a.m. the morning of the fight. A very 2020 year for Davison Figueredo. So I have to give it to him. 2020 fighter of the year is the very 2020 Davison Figueredo. Mike. I'm going to say Kevin Holland, just partially to be the contrarian, but partially because I do think Davidson Figueredo shot himself in the foot a little bit with this argument. I mean, I was there in Norfolk in February when he missed weight. He cost himself the title on that night. Uh, he cost himself a, you know, true, obviously, you know, with the draw, he does defend the title, but a win in that fight by fouling and getting a point taken away from himself. So he did look, kind of hold himself back. I think if you're not talking about this weight miss, if you're talking about a clear win over Moreno, this isn't even a discussion, but Kevin Holland, he did some really great things too. I mean, five and oh, uh, the fastest five and zero ever. I mean, you look at Roger Huerta and Neil Magny, who also did five and zero in a year. He beat them both by like 60 to a hundred days in that pace, four finishes in those five fights, three in the first round. Uh, obviously, you can take a, a big hit at the uh, competition he's fighting, but I think the way he was going out there, doing it consistently, not really any controversy around these fights. Let's not forget he was supposed to fight once more when his fight with Trevin Giles was canceled like a minute before they were supposed to go in there. So this is being a, a you know, he's taking it all in stride. So I think Kevin Holland's star has really built a lot. Um, I do think we're kind of splitting hairs here. It's like a 51-49% argument, but I, I will give it to Kevin Holland. I think you can make a case for Holland just in the sense that, and I was talking to one of my producers about this today, he's a guy that really took advantage of just this pandemic era because one of the other things about Kevin Holland that stands out is his trash talk, and you get to hear it all in the, all of these empty venues, and I think that that really has helped raise his, uh, his stock. I will go with Figueredo. I do think that he does have an advantage given how few people had more than two title fights in the year 2020. He ended up having four of them, although one of them for him was not a title fight, uh, given that he missed weight in Norfolk. And I think that that is a problem. Uh, and, and, and you should hold that against them. Although that being said, I think he's brought the uh, flyweight division back to prominence in the UFC. And that's, that's a pretty difficult task. The other thing I'll say is that if Shamayev was fighting Leon Edwards this weekend and blew the doors off of him in the same way he has all of the other fighters that he's faced in 2020, I think you can make a case for him, but obviously that fight is uh, postponed likely until middle uh, towards the end of January, rather. Um, so now what AB, I like, am I wrong to argue that there should be limits though? You could get on a scorecard for an active sort of cowboy Cerrone type four and five and year, but can you really win it over somebody who had, how about a Jan Blahowitz and no one's talking about, it? I mean, those two wins seem to be, 
pretty damn strong. He won a damn championship by upset knockout. Shouldn't that be better than Holland beating up on guys that we want to find out how good he is level? Well, I think the, the reason why that's a good point is because if you would have asked anybody at the beginning of last year, if you said Jones is not going to be champion at the end of the year, who's going to be the champion? I don't think that a single person would have said Jan Bojovich. So for him to do what he has done and to, to become a champion this late in his career, I think you certainly can make a point that he should be in contention for fighter of the year, possibly even over Holland, like you mentioned. I think that is a name that uh, people haven't been, um, you know, muttering towards the end of the year, but should be. So uh, that's definitely a good point. Um, what I like to do now is I like to go division by division. At this time next year, who do you think the champion of that division will be? Um, let me, let me break down last year's prediction. So, uh, on the panel last year was, uh, Adam Martin, uh, Nick Baldwin of the score, uh, Alexander K. Lee of, uh, MMA fighting and, uh, Chamat Karsandu, who uh, now works for BT sport. Uh, we had two Adam and Nick predicting Zhang Veli would still be the champion, uh, two for Tatiana Suarez, who didn't even end up competing in 2020. And I was the uh, lone, uh, dissenting vote, uh, the Chris Lee of the group saying that it was a uh, Joanna and Jacek would be the champion at this time, uh, in the strawweight division let's start off with mike bun this time next year who's the strawweight champion of the world um this day is jang wali and mostly just because i think with the way the landscape is going her difficulty getting a visa and i think she's going to fight rose namayunas next but from what i'm hearing it's you know being a bit of a challenge getting that fight done so i think she might as unfortunate as it might be might only get one fight in this coming year hopefully more, but I think it would be her and Rose. And if she can win that, she probably still has the belt on her waist. Mark. I, I agree with Mike in the fact that that's the next fight. It's going to be, it's going to be Jean versus Rose Nami Yunus. And uh, I, I would normally, I would normally pick Tatiana Suarez, but we just don't know when she's going to be back. She's still dealing with the neck injury and there doesn't seem to be any kind of a timetable for her return. So I'm going to say that by the end of 2021, Rose Nami Yunus is going to be the UFC women's strawweight champion. Ryan. Yeah, I got Rose in this one. I think she's a bad style matchup for uh, Wang Zhe Li. And even though rightfully you should question sometimes Rose's highs and lows that she can put out there in terms of performance and focus, I think going through that absolute war with Andrade uh, in the rematch was exactly what she needed to, to, to just remind herself what's in there. And I think that, you know, that fight is going to be freaking spectacular. And I, I'm a Rose guy. I think that's when she can win. And I think Ioana may have shown some ways to get there. Now, Brian, I've heard Weili Zhang, I've heard Zhang Weili, but I've never heard Wang Zheili. So point Dude, I, on could, that one. I might call her Chardonnay by the end of this interview. Do, do not, I grew up in a factory town. Please, you got to move on. All right, we'll move on to Sean. Uh, let me make it an even split here. I agree with everything my, my friend Mike Bond just said over there. I think there's a good chance the way that this is headed that, that Zhang Weili fights just once next year. And that would be really unfortunate because this is someone who is in her absolute prime right now and looks to be just an absolute monster in this division. Uh, but I, if she does end up fighting once I do favor her against Rose, I think that's going to be a good fight, a close fight, but I think people are still sleeping on her somehow, man. It's, it's strange. She doesn't, I don't feel like she's getting the level of respect that maybe she should. And that's probably just because we haven't seen her fight very much in the UFC even still. Uh, but I still see her holding the belt at the end of next year. Yeah. I think that, if you look at Rose versus Zhang, that Rose has more ways to win that fight, but I think Zhang has the better way to win that fight. I think if you look at her power striking and you look at the, the evolution that she continues to make from fight to fight to fight, I think that we're going to see a, a powerhouse Zhang Weili in 2021. Now, people talk about Tatiana Suarez. I just think that the, the more that, you know, the longer that it takes for her to get back, the, the harder it's going to be for her to win a championship because the women's game continues to evolve. I think we're going to see a lot more, um, you know, better takedown defense, better 
um, work from guard. So I, I think the longer it takes for her to get back to competition, the harder it's going to be for her to become the champion uh, just because the game is going to continue to evolve. Now, before we do the uh, women's flyweight division, I, it, you know, if you believe that it's not going to be Valentina Shevchenko, put up your hand. All right, let's Next. move on. That's That's a Murphy fan over here. But, okay. Uh, no, no, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Well, last year's predictions, uh, everybody as well believed that Shevchenko would still be the champion at this time next year. Clean sweep again. Uh, bantamweight, any non-Amanda Nunez? Oh, okay. We got, we got, we got Brian Campbell. We, yeah, we, had one dissent, we had one dissenting vote last year, but uh, let's hear who you've got, Brian. I've got this girl who is uh, on her way to becoming, uh, at worst, the top two female fighter in the history of the sport. Her name's Valentina Shevchenko. I think she gets the trilogy fight at Bantamweight, moves up, and look, their history has shown that it's probably going to be a really close five-round decision. And I think her, compared to Amanda, stock-wise uh, improvement, growth, a lot of stuff, I think she's peaking upwards. I think that's a fight Valentina can win. And I really kind of question how much Amanda wants to keep doing this moving forward. I think it'd be a lot easier on her load to just keep cutting to 145 and hold that belt. Um, it, may only, it may also serve Valentina right, karma-wise. Two really close fights, win the, win the damn third one. I could see her being the two division queen and defending both on a very, you know, uh, quick schedule. Brian, I would love for you to call Valentina Shevchenko a girl to her face. <laughs> oh, we have a special relationship, her and I. Okay, I respect the the uh, tattoo of the gun on the midriff. She respects my love for Inca Cola. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Inca Cola is delicious. Uh, the lone dissenting vote last year from Nick Baldwin, also Shevchenko. Uh, featherweight division for next year. Uh, will there still be a division? Uh, and if so, will Nunez be the champion? Anybody believe that Nunez will not be the champion or that there will uh, be a division with a different champion at this time next year? All right, Mark. Well, I, think, I think there will not be a division okay. by this time next year. You think year. the division will fall? Wow. I don't think it will. Wow. Well, she's almost run through the division. Norma Dumont has left the division, is now a bantamweight again. Uh, Zara Fernando was... Santos, I don't know if she's still in the uh, UFC. AB, I was hoping for you to come out with the Canadian hipster Kayla Harrison pick here. Well, last year I did say that... Uh, well, Kayla Harrison is not Canadian, but uh, I did say that um, Felicia Spencer would fight for the title. Uh, in my odds, pick, my odds predictions with Dana White, I gave him 12 to 1 odds that a Canadian would fight for the title. Uh, he, he took no, which was minus 1,000. And I said, I think you might be wrong. I think Felicia Spencer will fight for the title. And she, she did. Uh, so pat on the back, a little Barry Horowitz action on that one. Men's flyweight division. Anybody believe that Figueredo will not be the champion at this time next year? All right, Brian. Oh, yeah, Campbell. I do. God, what am I doing here? All right, guys, you better, if you don't know about Askar Askarov, you better ask yourself. This guy's a freaking warrior and a machine in there, and he's ballsy and really, really technical. And it's not that I believe uh, Figueredo isn't just rocket shitting, rocket shipping himself <laughs> to start him here. This is a family program, Brian Campbell. What's your language, young man? But I think we learned from this Moreno fight, and not to discount the specialness of Moreno, but this division could become a hot potato just because these guys are so freaking evenly matched. And uh, I would not be surprised if this guy could win a split decision over Figueredo late next year. All right. Well, that's, that's an interesting one. I, 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 also... tend to, I tend to agree a little bit with Brian. I mean, I think Figueredo, if he does lose that title, it'll probably be largely by his own doing. You see how the guy fights in there. He fights like an absolute maniac. He takes so many risks. I think, you know, no one's going to go in there and maybe completely outclass him and make him look terrible. But I think he could kind of walk into dropping the title just via maybe his own negligence in his way. Yeah, I just think that this division needs stronger uh, challengers. I mean, I, I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, last year's picks, three for Benavidez, 
one for Henry Cejudo. That was Sandu and uh, Adam Martin picked Davison Figueroa to be the champion at this time uh, last year. That's um, impressive. The men's bantamweight division right now, the champion Piotr Jan looks like a tough out. Uh, I'm going to go around the table. I'm sure that we have some people that believe that there's going to be a new champion in that division. So we'll start with you, Sean. We're going a lot of chalk so far. I have to stick with Peter Jan. To me, he feels like by far the most talented bantamweight in the world right now. And I don't even feel like we've really started to see how good he really is. He he is still, uh, his last fight against Jose Aldo was really the first real challenge he's had in the UFC. And he, he passed that perfect marks a plus all the all the way around i think we're we're gonna end next year just marveling at how damn good peter yawn really is maybe we'll get a better sense of it by then brian uh yeah look i'd love to make the the again the hipster case for Corey sanhagen because i think he's a lot better than he showed in that aljo fight and then he showed that to us in the marlon marais fight but peter yawn uh peotre peyote uh, uh yeah, yeah plumber uh plumber crack yon uh he has no holes in his game so i can't pick against him yet even though this division is all killer and for all we know he could be fighting tj next i mean it's gonna be wild what they're gonna do with this division mark i'm gonna say aljamain sterling i think that he is the most versatile elite fighter in that division i think he has the most ways to win out of the elite fighters in that division he's got great grappling and his striking has really really come along Moving to Vegas, training in Extreme Couture, I think that will also raise his game. A lot of talent out there in Vegas, of course. So I'm going to say Aljamain Sterling uh, gets the win over Jan and keeps the belt until 2022, at the very least. Mike? I think we are going to see multiple title changes at Bantamweight this year. And I think at the end of the day, we are going to see Triple C return back to the top. I think Aljamain Sterling is going to be Piotr Jan. And then we are going to see Henry Cejudo come back and fight Aljamain Sterling. I think those two have been kind of brewing around each other for a while. I think Cejudo would see Sterling as A, a winnable fight and B, a marketable fight. I don't think he sees that quite as much with Piotr Jan. So that is my choice, Henry Cejudo. Why is nobody talking about TJ Dillashaw? TJ Dillashaw returning from a suspension. He's been off for two years, but I think that TJ Dillashaw still has the skills to beat anybody in this division. If you look at it from a boxing and stand-up standpoint, I think he can hang with Jan. From a wrestling standpoint, I think he would have the grappling advantage over Piotr Jan. I, I still think TJ Dillashaw has something left in the tank. I think that he can come back, win a, win a challenge, uh, win a tough fight against the challenger, end up getting a title shot towards the end of the year and end up as the champion at this time next year. I, I'm not, I'm not sold that TJ Dillashaw is done. He's only 35 years of age. Uh, I guess he turns 35, I believe in February. He still, I think has something in the tank. And I, until I see somebody beat him at bantamweight, I know that Suhudo obviously beat him uh, in the flyweight division. I still think that there's a shot of Dillashaw coming back and, and taking the title back. He's done it. Uh, he's done it before after losing it to Cruz. Let's see if he can do it again. Uh, the last year's picks uh, three for Piotr Jan, Sandu had uh, Henry Cejudo uh, before Cejudo had decided to, uh, we, we knew he would decide to retire. And uh, I had picked Corey Sanhagen. I still think Sanhagen is a phenomenal fighter. Um, I think he might be the best guy in terms of skill set in the division. Uh, I know he lost to Aljamain Sterling, but in terms of uh, skill for skill, I think that the Sanhagen might be the best guy. Uh, men's featherweight division. We'll start with you, Mike Bond. Who do you think is going to be the champion at this t- time next year in the featherweight division? This was a tough one. I think uh, similar to what I said at Bantamweight, we're going to see multiple title changes. I think Brian Ortega versus Alexander Volkanovsky is going to be next. And then the winner of that, especially, you know, assuming Brian Ortega wins, which I think he will, we're going to see Max Holloway challenge Brian Ortega for the title after he beats Calvin Cater. And then Max Holloway will win that rematch and regain his title. All right. That's a biased Canadian pick, but we'll, uh, we'll move on to Mark Raimondi. (laughs) You guys have, some of you had Henry Sudo coming back and winning the Bantamweight title. How about Henry Sudo coming back and challenging Alexander Volkanovsky 
in 2021 and winning the featherweight title. I think that is the most intriguing fight for Sudo coming back at 145. I think that's the pick. And I think Triple C will be quadruple C or whatever, how many C's. He's going to win another title and become the featherweight champion. C4. C4. Yeah. C4. CB4. I don't know where the B comes from, but it's, it's always fun to drop that movie. Uh, Brian. Uh, come on. That's a hipster pick, Raymond, and you know it. The answer is a B, guys. Okay. All right. We're not, we haven't even begun to uh, realize how great this guy's going to be. I just saw some weird IG video of him throwing rocks as a way to like work on his punches. Uh, they're different breeds out there. Okay. All right, guys. All right. It's going to be Askarov. It's going to be Zabi. It's going to be every guy with a Abe Lincoln beard. Okay. Those are my picks. In preparation for your show with Luke Thomas. Is I that kick rocks. I pound sand. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> He, do you also like uh, Omar Yachmedov? He's got the idea of the Lincoln beard. Is he going to be the middle? Yeah, I had, him, I had him beating Weidman. Okay, yeah. thank you. Keep moving. All right. <laughs> all right, Sean, you're up. Uh, this is interesting. Four responses, and they're all going to be different responses. I'm going Brian Ortega, man. I am totally sold on whatever this version of Brian Ortega 2.0 is. He looked utterly sensational this last time we saw him from off that break he looked like a guy who completely revamped every hole in his game his striking was incredibly impressive and he has the single best uh i would say skill in the entire division with his jujitsu his ability to just pull that out out of nowhere these finishes these third round finishes late round finishes that doesn't go away uh i am so impressed with brian ortega and i think he's going to really have a hell of a year in 2021 so i'm gonna go with him I'm going to break the tie, and I'm going to go with a team chinstrap beard with Brian Campbell. I think Zabit, that was my pick last year to win the championship. He didn't get the fight in 2020. Because, uh, people keep having weird excuses to not face this guy, but I think that Zabit, uh, once this guy gets in there with some of the best of the best, I know he didn't have a great showing in that third round against Calvin Cater, which is really the only indictment against this guy that we have so far uh, in terms of his UFC career. I think he's a guy that's going to be able to, to beat the top guys in this division, so I'm going to go with Zabit. Uh, last year's picks, myself and Adam Martin's a beat. And then the other three were for, for uh, Volkanovsky to be the champion at this time, uh, I guess, at this time of year. So congrats to those guys. The men's lightweight division. This, I'm sure, is going to have a lot of interesting picks because uh, at the moment, Khabib says he's retired. Dana White thinks he's coming back. Uh, we'll start with you, Sean. Who do you like to be the champion at this time next year in the lightweight division? This, to me, was the hardest one by far. And I, I think I waffled on it back and forth for quite a while. It, it, even if Khabib does come back and we get one more Khabib fight, I don't think he's going to be holding that belt at the end of 2021. I, I, that would probably be a GSP fight or something else, probably to vacate the belt, anything like that. And at that point, it's anyone's game, right? Like, we really don't have a sense between the, this group of Poirier and Gaethje and even Chandler and Oliveira now. Whoever you throw in there, we have no sense of who's the, the, the king amongst this group. So I, I'll go with the guy who just held the interim belt. Justin Gaethje, for me, uh, feels like the second best fighter in this division. I don't know that we have the proof yet for it. He's obviously lost to Dustin Poirier, but that was in his first version of, of sort of Justin Gaethje. Uh, I, I do believe in the revamp Justin Gaethje, and I think he's going to get that belt and hold it by the end of 2021. But this might be one where we just see this belt get passed around throughout the year. I will mention that you did not mention Conor McGregor's name as part, being part of the title picture, but we'll, we'll move on to uh, Brian Campbell. Well, not to, not to get all rubber barstool on you guys, but uh, Conor McGregor is going to be the champion when this year closes at the end. And here's the big reason why. The two guys that I would have favored against him outright for years are Habib and Tony, and they're either out maybe or out of the title picture. Uh, it's not that I overly favor him against all the other guys. I just think those are there's paths to victory in there, and I don't think Connor's going to just crawl over into full celebrity fighter standing for the rest of his career. I think he's got one more life left on top. He's going to have to be Poirier. He's probably going to have to be Oliveira, or, or for all we know, Chandler after that. 
but I think that's going to lead him back into boxing for a one-off. So when this year closes, he's still going to have that, that, that belt hijacked. Guys, I saw something in that cowboy fight. I don't care if you didn't see it. I saw it. All right. <laughs> all right, Mark. Only one Con McGregor. It's only one Con McGregor. Conor McGregor will be the lightweight champion in the UFC when this, well, when 2021 comes to a close. Mike. This was, as Sean said, I think the toughest one. Um, I am going to, as I think you laid out the Habib situation well, but I think he's still officially going to be the lightweight champion at the end of the year. I don't know if he, are they're going to find a way to lure him back. Um, maybe if he does do that 30 and 0 fight, maybe it comes, you know, after Ramadan in September or something like that. I don't think they're going to let go of that title of him being the champion, whether it's him relinquishing it or, you know, forcing him to vacate. Uh, I do think this is going to be a very frustrating situation for all of the other lightweight contenders. A lot of people are going to be really mad. We've dealt with stuff like this before at 155, but I think Khabib's title reign is going to get drawn out longer than it should be in terms of him physically holding the title. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go off the board here. I'm going to take the guy that I think is the second best guy behind Khabib in the division and has been for some time. And that's Dustin Poirier. Now we'll see what happens, of course, uh, in a couple of weeks from now when he faces Conor McGregor, if he's able to get the win there. I know he's the underdog, but from what I've seen, Dustin Poirier is the next best guy. You saw how he fared against uh, Justin Gaethje. And now you've seen him in these different wars. Um, you saw the one against Dan Hooker. I mean, this is a guy who just continues to get better and better. Will the damage have accumulated to a point where he's not going to be able to continue to fight at this kind of level? I don't know. But he says he's paid in full. I, I agree with that. This is a guy who I, I think has shown a ton of heart and a ton of development, a ton of evolution. I, I think Dustin Poirier will be the champion at this time next year. And I think, if not, of course, for the boogeyman and Khabib owning that division, that he might have been the, uh, the champion sooner. I know he was the interim champion, but I think he will be the undisputed champion at this time next year. We'll go to the men's welterweight division, the current champion, Kamaru Usman. Uh, Mike Bond, who do you got? I think Usman stays as the champ. He just, to me, is looking just a level above all these guys at 170 right now. There's obviously an endless stream of really, really, really good guys in that division. Just what I've seen out of Usman in the past couple of years makes me feel he's going to be able to hold on to that title for a while. And at the end of the day with Kamaru Usman, whenever it may be, he's going to be in that discussion with GSP, Matt Hughes, for the greatest welterweights ever. Mark? I completely agree with Mike Bond. In fact, I think that... Usman doesn't get enough credit for what he has done so far. I mean, the guy has been, you know, nary unbeatable for a very long time. And outside of the Colby fight, no one has really even come close uh, to winning against him. So I, I like Usman for, you know, for this year and for the future. Brian. Yeah, he, Usman is my pick, and he showed some flashes in that Jorge fight under Trevor Whitman the first time around of really showing you that a, a much broader evolution of his striking skills could still be on tap, and that'll make him you know an even tougher out in that division. This is this might be the only chalk pick I have right here. All right, <laughs> all right. Uh, didn't you take Piotr Jan also? Yeah, who who remembers at this all point? Right. Come on, <laughs> Sean. I'll be the hipster pick on this one. I'm going with the single most disrespected, single most overlooked man of 2020. This is Leon Edwards, man. He is going to come into 2021. People have forgotten how good this guy is because we just haven't seen him in all the discussion around him has been like, what's he doing wrong? What's he not doing right in his career? Why won't he market himself? This guy is one of the best 170 years in the world. He has a, a tremendous streak going. And I feel like we he is going to come into 2021 with a fire uh, of a thousand suns to prove everybody that they need to just shut the hell up. Uh, I really see next year being the year that Leon Edwards gets what he should have gotten uh, at some point over the course of this year. And he's going to show everybody why, why he was right this whole time. 
Yeah, he, he is way too disrespected for sure. My, my champion pick for next year is Kamza Shemaev, who I think is going to blow the doors off of Leon Edwards. And now that we've got Usman have, <laughs> having already beaten, already beaten Colby Covington, Masvidal, Leon Edwards, there's only two left standing, I guess. You got Gilbert Burns who's going to face him next, and that's a very tough matchup. I think Burns has what it takes to beat him. But Hamza Shemaev, if he ends up beating Leon Edwards in, in the same way that he's been beating these other guys, you're, they're going to have no choice but to give this guy a title shot at some point. And if he's as good as he looks, I think he can give Usman a challenge. Where's Usman going to beat him? Is, is it going to be in the wrestling where it looks like Hamza's bread and butter is the wrestling? And then in the striking, Hamza looked like he's got the power there too. Let's let's give this guy. Oh, God, you beat me at my own game. Always pick Abe Lincoln. You killed yeah, me. On always this. pick Abe Lincoln. I'm going to go with your theory. And I think that uh, I think this is a guy who's who could be the champion at this time next year. As much as people are going to slag me for this because they think I'm uh, I'm all in on Shemaev, but I am. The chips are being pushed in. Uh, middleweight division. Sean, who do you think is going to be the champion at this time next year? This was a tough one just because the circumstance, right? Like, I don't know if Israel Adesanya is going to be a middleweight at the end of next year with, with everything that's going on with him. If, if he is, he's my pick. Uh, I think Izzy is a dominant champion right now and by far the best 185 pounder in the entire world. He is getting better every time we see him and he is just ultra impressive almost every time we see him with that, except for that UL Romero fight. If Izzy goes, I think I would default back to Robert Whitaker, but I think by the end of next year, Izzy will at least be vaguely related to the middleweight title. So I'll stick with Izzy. Brian. I think Dana's going to pull back that tease that he had that Izzy's next fight would be against Jan Blahowitz for the 205 title. And I feel like now that John Jones has committed to heavyweight or so it seems from his IG weightlifting picks that Izzy's got two marketable and fun rematches to be had with Whitaker and Vittoria at middleweight. So I think, uh, you know, whether he does get a 205 jump up or not, he's still going to hold that 185 belt at the end of the year. Mark. Robert Whitaker will be the UFC middleweight champion at the end of next year. I don't think Israel Adesanya, like Sean said earlier, is going to be a middleweight by the end of the year. I don't, I don't think he will. And I, and I think that Whitaker just looks fantastic against Jared Cannonier and against Darren Till. Uh, to me, he is, uh, you know, one a right now in the middleweight division. And if there's no Adesanya at 185, Robert Whitaker is the man. Mike. Uriah Hall. No, just kidding. Um, it's <laughs> Robert Whitaker. Uh, I think, it, I think as he's time, maybe one more middleweight fight, but I think next time, uh, when this next time next year rolls around, it's going to be Robert Whitaker. I think uh, he's probably going to fight for the vacant belt against Apollo Costa or something like that. I think the champion will be, and still Israel Maboliji, Temetayo Odunoyo, Oluwafemi, Owalabi. Adesonia, the middleweight champion of the world at this time next year. I think that they're going to allow him to, if he does win the light heavyweight belt, hold two belts. Um, so I'm going to go with, with Izzy. Uh, light heavyweight you just, division. You just made that pick so you could show off for us. Let's be real here. Well, maybe. But uh, I think that he might be the best middleweight in the world right now. That could be the other reason. Uh, Mike Bond, light heavyweight champion this time next year. Israel Adesanya. So he will be a UFC champion. He will just not be the champion in the middleweight division. And that's going to tie into one of the hot takes I'll give later. So I'll just leave it at that. All right. Mark. Israel Adesanya will be the UFC light heavyweight champion. Same reason as Mike. I think he's going to go up. He's going to face Jan. I think he's going to win that fight. And I, I just like the matchups for him, even though they're bigger guys at light heavyweight. I just think on the feet, he, he's, uh, he, stands, he stands tall. I mean, uh, I really like him at... 205 and i do eventually want to see him fight john jones if john jones at heavyweight but i think this time next year it's going to be izzy as the 205 champ brian campbell looks like he has something in his back pocket let's let's hear it no no i'm just going to double down and lean on what i said that i think izzy does one more full year at, at middleweight despite the 205 t's and if that's the case 
I got Dom Reyes winning back the this division, not winning back the title, but winning back the respect as possibly this division's best fighter. I think there's some really fun matchups between a, a rematch with Jan, between getting Tiago Santos in there. You got Glover. You got a, you got a, you don't have a super stud, but I think Dom Reyes is the best pedigree of the group, and he had a bad night at the office against Jan, and I think he can redeem himself. All right, Sean. I'm going completely off the board, and I think this title is going to get passed around quite a bit over the next over the next you know 12, 24 months. I think Jiri Proshka ends the year next year with it. This is a guy who's been a maniac for a long time. People like us who stay up until 4 a.m. to watch these stupid fights over in Japan know about this guy. I think a lot of people are just starting to find out about him. I think he's going to beat Dominic Reyes at the beginning of the next year, and he's just going to go on a rocket ship uh, that's going to land him in a title fight, and I think he wins that fight. Well, as we know from history, Ryzen always ends the year, so you've got that going for you. But uh, we've got uh, – I, I like Israel to be a double champ at this time next year. I think he'll be the champion in two divisions. Um, one thing I haven't done, though, is uh, recap last year's picks. I've, I've been sleeping on that. Lightweight, we had um, two for Khabib, three for Ferguson. Uh, last year for welterweight, we had three for Usman, one for Leon Edwards, one for Jorge Masvidal. And last year at middleweight, everybody believed it was going to be Israel, and everybody believes it was going to be Jones at this time of the year. Um, in light heavyweight, unless he were to have vacated the belt, which he since has. Uh, the heavyweight division, this should be a fun one. There's some uh, heavy hitters at the top. Uh, we'll start with you, Sean. Uh, same prediction I've made for the last three years, and I'm just going to keep making it until it comes true. I think Francis Ngannou's destiny is to be the UFC heavyweight champion, and this division is the most frustrating division in the entire sport right now. It has been clogged up for two to three years at this point. And it, it's just so frustrating that we're getting one title fight a year in what should be the marquee division in this entire sport. But I think finally Francis Ngannou gets what he should have gotten a long time ago. He's been a lo- number one contender since the Kane fight, which was ages ago at this point. I think he finally gets it and he takes all that rage out upon Stipe Miocic and wins that fight, wins that belt and finally becomes the champion. Brian. Uh, it's going to be John Jones. And I've been sort of the flag waver of this fact John Jones isn't going to lose that heavyweight for like three years, okay? The, the gap in speed between 205 and heavy is going to show up huge here. He's defensively uh, a wizard late in his career. He's got the wrestling to fall back on. He's got a heavyweight uh, arm reach uh, to begin with. This is going to be John's time. Finally, there won't be a goat debate anymore, guys, okay? He's my goat as it is, but he's going to silence that crap, okay? It's going to be all over. There's always going to be a GOAT debate because there's always going to be people that think that John cheated. And those people are never going to think he's the GOAT. So I think there will always be a debate, even if he is the heavyweight champion. Well, he I, think the people that, I think the people they that don't cheat. already think he's the GOAT, the people that don't already think he's the GOAT aren't going to think he's the GOAT. I, I'm with you, Brian. I think he is the GOAT. But I think that those this who... This guy out here picking TJ Dillashaw to win back the belt. Now we want to talk about cheating. Come on. <laughs> hey, I'm agreeing. With... Hell, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm agreeing with you that John is the GOAT. I don't think it should be held against him. I don't think that uh, there's enough... To, to, to say that he's not the GOAT, but I think that those who don't believe he's the GOAT right now don't think he's going to be the GOAT ever, but that, that's just my opinion. But Mark, go ahead, heavyweights. I really, I mean, you're putting me in a position where I have to agree with Brian Campbell, and that really makes me upset. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the GOAT. It's John Jones. He is going to be, he will be the champion at the end of the year. He's going to make this move up, and it's either going to be a title fight next for him against the, the Stipe Francis winner, or it's going to be someone else in the top 10, and then he's going to go on and win you know, the, the, the title at some point in 2021, I think he, I think he's the man. Uh, I like what I'm seeing with him. I spoke to him a couple weeks ago and uh, he seems to be in really great spirits. This is a man who, I mean, he, he was the best of all time. Didn't even train in between fights. Now he's actually training. He's actually lifting. He's actually putting in the work in between training camps. So the first time in his career, it's pretty crazy to, to think that that is the case. But I think John Jones still only, I mean, was he 30, 33? I mean, 33. he's not even that old. 
he's a baby when it comes to heavyweight. He's going to be the champ, and I think it's going to be for a bit, like Brian Campbell said. I can't believe I got to agree with Brian Campbell. Ah. <laughs> Mike. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with both these guys. Obviously, Mark wrote a great story about John Jones's heavyweight move, so I think uh, there is some a lot of optimism to be had about what he can do up there. I do think Francis Ngannou is going to beat Stipe Miocic, and then John Jones beats Francis Ngannou. So I think uh, hopefully some heavyweight activity. Obviously, you mentioned the one title fight a year. Let's change that up and get not only multiple title fights, but multiple title changes at heavyweight. John Jones, last man standing there. I'm going to side with Sean. I think it's going to be Francis Ngannou. He was my pick last year. Unfortunately, this year uh, only had one heavyweight title fight, and I think we all knew last year that it was going to be Cormier and uh, Stipe, but of course, this has been a weird year. Uh, Stipe took a lot of damage in that fight. I'm glad that he hasn't come back uh, quickly. That said, Stipe did beat Ngannou pretty handily last time. I, I still need to see Francis beat Stipe, but if Francis is as good as I think he is now, I think he's going to be the heavyweight champion next year. And I think he can beat John Jones if that fight ends up happening. I think that his power is enough to devastate just about any human being on this planet. So um, my pick last year was Francis. It is Francis again. Last year's predictions, three for Francis Ngannou, two for John Jones, none for Stipe Miocic. Miocic disrespected again, a guy who I think should be in the all-time pound-for-pound uh, pound conversation or the, uh, and, and considered the best heavyweight of all time. Disrespected once more. All right, the newcomer of the year. I feel like this has a fairly easy answer, but Mike will go with you for the UFC newcomer of the year. Uh, it's obviously Hamzat Chemaev, I think. But I think uh, if Chaos Williams can get something big done at UFC Vegas 17, he is going to be in the running there. I mean, Chaos Williams, the only guy in UFC history to get back-to-back knockouts under 30 seconds to start his career. It's pretty damn impressive. Obviously, Chemaev made his own type of history with you know the three wins in 66 days, the two wins in 10 days, all that kind of stuff. But uh, not quite the level of competition that Williams fought. But I just do think the hype around Chemaev, he is being the most resonating newcomer this year. So he's my pick. Yeah, very valid point on, uh, on Chaos Williams. Mark? My newcomer of the year uh, in the UFC, his name starts with a K and an H. It's not Kamzat Chemaev. It's Chaos Williams. Better competition, Aaron Bronstadter. I know that you're all on the Chemaev train. And believe me, I am too. I think he's going to be fantastic. But think about what Chaos Williams did. And he came really came out of nowhere. And he's won both of his fights in 30 seconds or less against pretty decent competition, not the guys that Shamaya faced, all respect to Reese McKee and John Phillips, but I think we... Uh, we, we Gerald Mearshardt, remember that guy, the guy who has the most submissions in middleweight history, that I, guy? Sure. Mearshardt, of course, of course, but uh, <laughs> that was a middleweight. I think that Shamaya is probably going to be a welterweight from here on out, uh, but no, Chaos Williams, I think he's the man, and I can't wait to see him on, on Saturday, and I think he can go 3-0 against the completely insane Michelle Pajeda. Uh, Brian? Yeah, look, it's got to be Chemayev. And I think the reason is of all these guys who have really teased us in recent years as like, oh my God, out of nowhere, the next big thing. He's the guy who I feel is most ready for a title like right now. And that is because I can't understand where his ceiling begins and ends. And I think that's mixed with the fact that he's been so freaking impressive on the microphone that he just taught, I mean, he's just seducing you. He's talking you into believing that, that he can beat anybody. And, uh, you know, the proof will be, in the putting, as Floyd Mayweather likes to say, once it finally happens. But I'm all about getting drunk off the feels of what it could look like. And right now, Kamzat's like, I don't know, he's the GOAT right now. I mean, has anybody been more impressive in, in you know, six months in the history of the UFC than this guy? I'm all in. Sean? Yeah, I see what my old friend Mark is, is doing over here with the Cass Williams pick. But, I mean, 
You you called it, Aaron. I, Gerald Mearshart is the best win between both of these men. It has to be Shamaya. There's no real other choice. It, this is a man who, within a span of six, seven months, went from being completely unknown to, to being matched up against the number three welterweight in the world. That's insane, and that's ridiculous on a different level that we just don't ever see. It has to be Shamaya. My guy also starts with a KH. It's Hadis Ibragimov. No, I'm just joking. I'm going with, uh, with Hamza Shamayev, of course. Uh, and I think- just to add a, a note in there, in 2020, 124 fighters debuted in the UFC. Wow. Mike Bond with the, the, the stats. Fact. Always has the stats ready to go. 124. So of 124 people we're talking about just two, uh, I think it's Hamza Shamayev. I think you can make a case for Chaos Williams, especially if he can beat Michelle Pereira in the same kind of uh, way that he's been beating these other guys. Then you can, if we have this conversation a week from now, maybe it's a different answer. Um, all right. So now we've got the upset of the year. We'll start with you, Sean. This was a weird one for me. I don't feel like there usually you get at least one just really huge standout type of upset, whether where it's a high stakes type of fight. I didn't really find one this year. Maybe there's one I'm missing that, that I'm not seeing. So for me, there was two, right? The obvious one is Dobson versus Maria Agapova just because of the record-breaking aspect of that. But I, I side more towards Cheeto Vera versus Sean O'Malley. Cheeto Vera really went in there and shut down the, the Sean O'Malley hype train in a way that was pretty thorough and I think really damaged Sean O'Malley's brand in, 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 a, in a way that, that I didn't see coming. So, so for me, Cheeto Vera has been coming on for a long time. It was cool to finally make see him make the jump. He's getting Jose Aldo this week. I love that fight. That's my favorite fight on that entire card. Uh, I'll go with him versus Sean O'Malley. Brian. I've got the uh, Roxanne Modafferi uh, fight with Macy Barber earlier in the year, because I specifically remember being at media day and standing in line to interview both and, you know, coming out of that Roxy interview with the feeling of, what, what just happened? Because it was a little bit weird, but also the feeling of, I'm not even sure she realizes what she's getting into. She's going to get sent to hell here. What are they doing? This is, you know, and then I, I've, I've, you know, I rarely remember being that humble in terms of how dominant she was on the ground and me just having not any clue how to pick UFC fights. I know that's obviously a rarity. That's why it's an upset of the year here, but I'm still impressed by that victory. I think she was like, three years old when uh, Roxy made her UFC debut or, or MMA debut rather, which is a pretty interesting uh, Mark. I actually can't believe that Montefiore versus Barber was this year. I know. That feels like <laughs> last millennia. That was way back in chat. I mean, January was like a long time ago. Good, good pull on that one. Brian Campbell. I, I have to go uh, a little under the radar. Uh, Trevin Jones over uh, Timur Valiev. Uh, not just because it was, uh, I, I mean, Valiev was, a, was a huge betting favorite and, and, Jones's comeback in that fight was completely insane. He was getting his butt kicked in the first round should by Valiev. Everyone, yeah, stopped. yeah it, it probably could have been stopped, but it wasn't. And, and, and Jones persevered. And then second round, he, he caught Valiev with a crazy combination, body shot, and, and finished him. It was, uh, it was a wild, wild fight and, uh, and a huge upset. So that's, that's, my, that's my under-the-radar pick for that one. Mike? Well, technically, Mark, he didn't upset anything because the result was overturned to a no contest. Oh, fair enough. The weed spoken rules. So the NSAC got the final upset. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, I think these guys have covered it all. Obviously, from a statistical betting lines perspective, Shayna Dobson over Maria Agapova is the one. But I did have written down uh, Roxy and Macy Barber just because, from my perspective, Obviously, we're all so high on Macy Barber, and to see her go in and get bloodied, get battered like that, it was you know pretty surprising and a big upset in my mind for the moment. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Dobson and the Gapava. I usually go the easy route on these ones and just take the, the one that has the, the biggest odds. But not only does she have the biggest odds, she has the biggest odds uh, in UFC history in terms of an upset. Uh, Agapova, I believe, is a minus 1,400 favorite at close, and uh, Dobson probably around a 9-1 to one underdog. It's the biggest underdog to ever win uh, a, a fight in the UFC. So uh, for that reason, I'm going to go with Shanna Dobson. Uh, this next part is uh, the most fun part of the show, in my opinion. It's the three hot takes for 2021. We've got the one-alarm take, the two-alarm take, and the three-alarm take. The way I described it to these guys is the one-alarm take, unlikely to happen. Two-alarm take, very unlikely to happen. And the three-alarm uh, take is uh, very, very, very unlikely to happen. You know, it would have to be something very strange uh, in order for that to take place. We'll start with the, uh, the one-star hot takes, and uh, we're going to start with you, Mike. So I'm going to tie in kind of to my championship selections earlier. I think by the end of 2021, there's going to be no champ champs in either the UFC or Bellator. All right. That's an interesting one. Mark? Uh, my, my mildly hot take uh, is Habib Nurmagomedov returns in 2021 and he fights George St. Pierre, uh, but in a, non, in a non-title fight, just to go 30-0, Habib versus GSP, one last fight, and then rise off into the sunset. Both Just don't them. tell Dana White it's at a 165-pound catch weight. He thinks you're, you're going to imply that there should be a division started. So say stay 163 tuned. pounds. It'll make it feel stay, a lot better. Stay tuned on that point. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Brian. Uh, my t- I take number one star is that I'm going to wear this blue shirt every day for the next calendar year. People won't talk about John Murphy anymore. Or John Morgan. John Morgan. Wow. <laughs> Man, blew the joke. John, who the hell is John Murphy? Good Lord. And Nobody's talking about John out. Murphy already. Let me retee the joke. Now, my one star take is that uh, Bellator, which has been opportunistic, is going to follow up on the Rumble Johnson and Yoel Romero signing and also get that other guy who can fight at 205, Anderson Silva, and launch a star-studded Grand Prix with the likes of Machida, Phil Davis, Masasi, uh, Nemkov, Bader, and uh, it's going to feel like Strike Force 2011 all over again. I will note that Brian does work at CBS and gets the internal memos. This might be just a, a spoiler, <laughs> if anything else. Uh, all right, Sean. Wait, wait. I just want to cut in. Did you just advocate for Anderson Silva fighting? Yeah, Anderson? wait. We can't gloss <laughs> past that. I really hope that doesn't come true because I do not want Anderson Silva fighting Rumble Johnson and go over <laughs> oh, but, but it's cool, Sean, that I can wear this shirt every day for a full year, right? All right, cool. Where's John I, Murphy? I love, I love Anderson Silva. He's, he's my favorite of all time, but – I hate some apparently. Johnson in 2021, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. You're not co-signing. Yeah, please no, please no. <laughs> Guys, Bellator once put out a, a heart attack match. First guy to die <laughs> loses with Dada 5000. Anything's possible, okay? Okay, way, if that not, was if not, that if was the most... in the 205 pound Grand Prix. I'm in. Yeah, right, that Sean. was the most fun event I've ever attended in my entire life, and I'll go to my grave saying that. Um, so for well, me, guys also almost went to their grave after that fight. One of them actually ended up <laughs> yeah. Thank you not because of that fight, not because of that fight, other reasons. Yeah, come on, bad taste, <laughs> bad, bad taste, and bad take. All right, uh, Sean, uh, go ahead, one star. Mark kind of stole my thunder here. I agree with him. I think is you said somewhat unlikely for your one star take. I think GSP Habib is mine, and that it would come back, that Habib would come back, GSP would come back. Do it as some kind of catch weight so there's no title involved. I, I think that's my one-star take for this year. Mine is that Tony Ferguson follows the path of least resistance and moves to welterweight. And I think that, that he tries to get uh, back into a title picture because it's probably not going to be in the lightweight division. But he's been teasing a, a move to welterweight for years. And I think that that is going to happen in 2021. Dude, uh, he's teasing a move to light heavyweight on the right day. You never know with that guy. Or heavyweight with Verdum at that media day. Ankle pick time. All right. Uh, I think you were probably there, Mark, right? Were you, were you there for the uh, ankle pick? I was uh, I was like three feet away from. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Sean, uh, your two-star take. Two-star take. So the way you framed this to us was that it was unlikely. Uh, and so for very me- Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. So for me, I think my two-star take is that both Diaz brothers will compete in 2021. It seems like Nate always has a path back into this, whether if, if the right fight comes up, if something pops up that maybe intrigues him. It seems like Nick really wants to get in there some days, some days he doesn't want to get in there. So we don't know. The idea of both of them competing in one year, it hasn't happened in a really long time. I couldn't even tell you when the last time without looking it up. Uh, but I think for a two-star take, that's my two-star take. Both Diaz brothers in 2021. Probably oh, in six or seven years, I would guess. Uh, Brian? Uh, my two-star take is that if the heavyweight picture closes out the way we have teased it for next year with Nganu knocking out Miocic to win the title and then John Jones defeating him, then I'm wondering if proximity of having one Daniel Cormier in the same building on the call of these John Jones heavyweight fights leads to a further continuation of these Twitter wars we see popping up. And we close 2021 as a returning Daniel Cormier being the most viable big market fight for John Jones in that heavyweight title. Give me the trilogy at heavyweight. Somebody get DC in a sauna. All right. Two, that was, that's a solid two-star. Uh, Mark, I can't wait to hear what the three-star is if that's the two-star. Mark, two-star take. The very unlikely take for 2021 is the UFC, as I mentioned before, Habib versus GSP. The UFC will finally start 165-pound division. People have been clamoring for it. Dana White really does not want it. But I just think it makes too much sense, right? There are so many good fighters at 155 and 170, and a lot of them kind of fall in between those two weight classes. And I think that, uh, look, I mean, 165 could be end, end up being the most star-studded division in all the UFC, depending on who fights there. It could be Conor McGregor. It could be Nate Diaz. It could be uh, Javier Dos Anjos, Kevin Lee. I mean, the, 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 the names, I mean, go down the list. Habib could fight at 165 very easily. That's probably a much more natural division for him. Uh, Tony Ferguson. I mean, it's uh, all the best guys at 55 could probably be, are probably more natural fits at 165. So I think that, again, it's unlikely to happen, of course, because Dana White does not want it, but... I, I, that's my, that's my hot take. Uh, that's my, that's my like medium out of, out of the mild, medium, spicy uh, hot take for you. Since we started doing these roundtable shows, this is always one of the hot takes and it never happens because Dana White says it's not going to happen. Don't, don't anger him. Don't anger Dana. All right, Mike. Uh, my two star take the ultimate fighter returns and has a fresh coat of paint to its former glory. And we're all interested in again. That ain't happening. It's going to be the same old thing we've always seen. I've recapped the past 10 seasons for MMA junkie. I'm just thinking of this being miserable and I know I'm going to have to watch the same copy and paste type of format for 40 minutes every single week. And there's going to be nothing different about it. And it's going to be the same show we've seen for 29 seasons. So I'm hoping optimistic that they can somehow switch this up and make it interesting again, but I am not getting my hopes up in the slightest. Indeed a hot take. Oh, I'll give you that one. <laughs> Mine is that the, uh, the UFC hosts an event at Allegiant stadium in Las Vegas in 2021. That's my two star hot take. Everybody That's wants cool. to get, get back to normalcy. Everyone wants to go back to the, the old reality, the, uh, and, How's and, that hot, bro? How's that hot? That's going to happen anyway. It might happen next month. Yeah. That feels like Connor a half star, one star level take. The vaccines aren't going to be fully rolled out until September. Come on. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen next year. Do you? Dana's got his ear to the government grind. He knows when. when he does until clear, January, okay? which is All a right. month from now. <laughs> All right. Uh, now fi it's, it's the fire take, the, the three alarm fire take. Uh, we'll start with you, Sean. Or I sort of start with you, Mike. We're going the other way. Oh, wow. I'm going to say that at once we do get through the pandemic and things start to go back to normal, UFC President Dana White steps down, citing 
conquering all the challenges. He's done it all. He got the UFC through its biggest year. He did everything there needs to be done. He's put on all the big fights. He's going to say, peace out, homies. I'm good. This is also on the hot take list every year, it seems. But uh, Mark? I don't see that one happening, Mike. But uh, <laughs> this is one that I've been wanting for so, for so long. For many years, I've talked about this. And it is very, very unlikely. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to put it into the air, try to put it into the universe to make it happen in 2021. John Jones at heavyweight against a returning Brock Lesnar. John Jones right. wants to tune up before a title fight. Who better than Brock Lesnar? Because you get a tune-up fight, and you also get one of the biggest fights the UFC can make. Jones, Lesnar, 2021. Please, MMA gods, let's make this one happen. Uh, this is one I hope doesn't come true. But, uh, Brian, go ahead. Oh, it's crazy that... that fight? In, would not want that fight. What's the point? You. I don't care about that fight. No, I don't Mark, care Mark, in 2012, fight. in 2012, I did a year-end hot take piece for ESPN in which I said, John Jones will make his heavyweight debut against Lesnar and they'll break all the pay-per-view markets. <laughs> Nine years ago. still in play right now? I mean, <laughs> Nine years ago. Damn. How, how has it not happened yet? It should have happened already. Look, here's the deal about Ronda Rousey, all right? We all rightfully have thrown stones at her in the past. But she is a freaking competitor. And I was very impressed covering her year in WWE, as I'm sure Mark Raymundi was, where um, there's a real competitor in there who wants to be great at the things that she does. She was a great judoka. She's a great MMA fighter, a great wrestler. She's a great organic farmer. Her taste in men notwithstanding. Here's the deal, guys. When Misha Tate tweeted out those pics of her getting back in the gym and just being like, yeah, I'm only 34. You never know. Rhonda will get the itch, and by the end of 2021, it will be leaked out through ESPN's Ramona Shelburne that Rhonda has the itch to fight again. The UFC's going to try to call Gina Carano. She's popular with the Mandalorian. It's not going to happen, though. It's too much of a dream. It's going to be the cupcake. Take down Tate for a third time with Rhonda to allow Rhonda Rousey to exit this sport on her own terms, which means not getting knocked out. The fight will go to the ground a lot. It'll be gross by the end. It'll be a decision, but Rhonda will win and restore glory to the house of head movement over there at Tarverdian's place. Thank you. No, no, I have no idea why Gina Carano kept getting mentioned there for just no reason. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I think there's a better chance of Rhonda being a mom at this time next year, but uh, let's go to you, Sean, uh, your, your three alarm take. I was enormously worried for you, Aaron, where that was starting. <laughs> First 30 seconds. Yeah, where it started, where it finished, where it was in the middle. The whole thing was just a, that was a I, train kind of zigzagging. And uh, it, was, it was a fun ride, though. I enjoyed it. I had no clue where that was going. Well done, sir. Uh, so for me, my, my three alarm take, the first half of this isn't very spicy, but maybe the second half is. I think this kind of goes against maybe what I predicted with the champions. But I think my three alarm take would be Conor McGregor ends the year with the lightweight belt and actually having defended it. We've never seen this man defend a belt in his entire life in any kind of division, any kind of promotion. It doesn't matter. Maybe we actually see him defend a belt. Probably not. Probably never going to happen. But, you know, if you're going for spicy takes, I'd say that's my spiciest. Well, I was hoping is- you were going to say uh, Conor McGregor versus Jake Paul. <laughs> Please no. I'm not even yeah, putting no, that into no. the ether. Yeah. Forget forget that one. Let's not, let's not mention that name here. This is a no-call zone. Uh my three-star take, Hamza Shumaya fights for titles in two different divisions in 2021. Oh, my God. You are happen? all in. You're all in. I'm all in. Let's go. Two divisions. You, what, what's, left for, what's left for Izzy in middleweight? Not much, right? Do you have beard-growing abilities? I think you need to back up that pick with, uh, with a, an, an Abe Lincoln, right? I'll see you in a couple months, and right. uh, we'll have that done. Uh, all right. So let, let's look at last year's hot takes uh, from Nick Baldwin of The Score. Uh, Usman becomes a big star was his one-star take. I don't know if that came into fruition. The return of Nick Diaz, the two-star take. That seems to come up every year as well. Khabib retires. His three-star take happened. 
It happened. Three-star take. And he explained why, and it was exactly, uh, well, aside from, of course, the tragedy in his family, that part was not mentioned because he's not that psychic. Uh, well, but uh, yeah, Sorry, mentioned- aside from vacating the title and announcing it, I don't think it's happened yet, all right? That's it. It's it's he's announced that he said it at the uh, he said that he wants to retire. Uh, Sandu, did you see GSP was in Dubai this morning on Instagram with a haircut? That's all I'm saying. All right. All right. Well, I did not I did not see that. That's uh, that is interesting. Uh, just that's going to be the meeting. Is like I've got a special guest for this meeting, Habib, and the door opens, theme music hits, some French rap music comes on the speakers, and out comes GSP. Uh, Sandu's picks. Zufa boxing becomes a reality. UFC holds an event in Africa. Of course, uh, any sort of events outside of uh, anywhere were, was off the table for the most part, which nobody would have known at that time. And uh, the UFC introduces a 165-pound weight class, which again comes up every year. Uh, from Alexander K. Lee, PFL enters into a business relationship with the UFC. That didn't happen. BJ Penn joins BKFC. That didn't happen. And John Jones retires. Also didn't happen. Adam Martin. Women's featherweight division folds. Didn't happen. Cejudo retires. Called that one. Nobody expected that at all. And uh, he, he, he predicted that one. UFC releases Anderson Silva and he signs with Bellator. Half of that came true. Um, and uh, so pretty good takes from Adam Martin. Uh, UFC holds a card in Montreal was my one-star take. That didn't happen. Tyson Fury signs with the UFC. That didn't happen. That was my two-star. And uh, McGregor fights in the UFC for the final time after losing to Cowboy Cerrone, my three-star take. Also did not happen. Uh, all right. Fights are most looking forward to in 2020 that has, is, is either currently booked or is, is expected to be booked. Uh, we'll start with you, Sean. So for me, this goes back to what I was saying when it comes to the champions. It's Steve Amiocic versus Francis Ngannou too. I just so badly want to see this heavyweight division get unclogged and just get moving again. And to me, this has been the fight. This has been the fight for a long time. I'm really intrigued, man. I just, I'm all in on Francis Ngannou. I think he's a different person than the first time he fought Stipe. I really would just want to see it play out. I want to see him go, have to go more than 60 seconds or 45 seconds or whatever these latest ones have been. For me, that's it. Stipe versus Francis too. All right, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it's Connor Dustin Poirier too. I mean, it's such a freaking great fight in so many ways for the casual fan, for business, for, uh, you know, the lightweight title picture, for the turning direction of both of their careers, right? And sort of the, you know, the, their, the peak of their athletic and commercial primes here. I mean, there's so much. At, I mean, look, in terms of non-title fights, although, look, I've already bet a kidney online that there will be a title linked to this fight by the end of it so uh you only need one kidney to survive right um so we'll (laughs) see what happens there but yeah this fight in every single category uh i can't wait well neither can the person that needs a kidney uh all right uh brian or sorry uh mark i again have to agree with brian campbell and it's it's really painful and i'm not liking this one bit but I have to say Poirier and, and McGregor too, because I mean, before Habib's retirement, it was it was going to be a great fight anyway, right? It was it, it already had pretty high stakes, and it was obviously going to be a huge money maker for the UFC, no matter where it was going to be. It's still going to be on pay per view. But now that Habib is retired, that fight has incredible implications for the rest of the year and the future indefinitely in the lightweight division, because. Like Brian Campbell said, maybe there's a title on the line for that one. Maybe there's not. But the winner of that fight is kind of in pole position, right, for the title fight if it does happen. So I think this one's incredibly intriguing for all the reasons it was before and now even more so now that there is really no likely Habib in the picture moving forward. Hi, right, Mike. Yeah, uh, I mean, not too much more to add. I think it's McGregor and Poirier. I thought this fight has made sense for a while. I've recommended that they should put it together multiple times over the past few years. I'm glad it's finally happening, and I think it's going to 
give us a, you know, very, very good fight and a really good understanding who the better man truly is between these guys. So that is the one that's just clear to me. You got circled on your calendar. Uh, for me, it's the fight where most of my predictions hinge upon. It was supposed to happen this weekend. Shamayev and Leon Edwards. And the reason why is because we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen a guy come in, really capture the imagination of the, uh, the MMA public so quickly and then get thrown into the deep end like this. I mean, Edwards is what, the number th- two or number three ranked guy in that division. This is one of the biggest steps up in competition that I think we've seen. I'm just really eager to see if this guy is, is, is as good as a lot of us believe he is going to be. Or if maybe he was just given competition that he could hang with, and now he's got to fight one of the elite fighters in the division. It's just such a rare thing that we see a fight like this, and I'm, I'm really just eager to see how it plays out. I um, think the, uh, the main events on all three of those Fight Island shows, the 16th, the 20th, and the 23rd, are all going to be absolutely incredible. I think any of those you could pick. Yeah, oh, Cater Holloway's a uh, uh, quiet good fight. Um, all right, dream fight in 2021, and one that is not booked, might, may not be booked, may never get booked. Uh, Mike Bond, go ahead. I'm going to say one that's actually pretty realistic and I think we can see pretty soon. And it's a Bellator fight between AJ McKee and Patricio Pitbull. I mean, this is the fight that I think is kind of destined to be the tournament final and has been since the beginning. I could not be more high on AJ McKee and have been for a very long time. So I'm really interested to see that fight to come together. I think uh, on paper, it's one of the best fights in Bellator history. And I really, really look forward to seeing that. I will say don't sleep on Emmanuel Sanchez, but even if Sanchez does win... Even if, if Sanchez does win, uh, I do think that if McKee ends up beating Sanchez, they're still going to see McKee versus Pitbull potentially next year. 155. Uh, Mark? Ooh, this is, uh, this is a tough one because there are a lot of really interesting fights that are on the horizon for 2021. But the one that piques my interest the most is John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, if it, if it is able to happen. And uh, it seems like the stars could be aligned. Of course, Ngannou would have to beat Stipe Miocic, but... I, I think, uh, guys, that fight is uh, one of the biggest fights the UFC can do. I really do, because the one thing that, that the UFC and fans have always kind of looked for is who, who provides the most dangerous threat to John Jones. We've really never seen this man lose. He lost by disqualification over 10 years ago to Matt Hamill, but he's never actually been beaten in the cage. I know that the Dominic Reyes fight was close and the Thiago Santos fight was close, but we've never really seen him lose. We've never really seen him get hurt. And then... Enter Francis Ngannou, the most dangerous guy, the most dangerous puncher maybe ever. Him and Anthony Rumble Johnson. People always wanted to see Jones fight Rumble Johnson. Well, now you have a, a bigger Rumble Johnson, Francis Ngannou at heavyweight. And I, I just think that fight is super intriguing. And it's the one that I, that I want the most for 2021. He did get hurt once in the uh, now Hall of Fame fight between Alexander Gustafson. Um, Brian. Uh, my pick, look, if, Fer- if Tony Ferguson had won this past weekend, my pick would have been Tony Ferguson and Conor McGregor because I just think the buildup, uh, you know, commercially and absurdly would have been some of the greatest shit we've ever seen. Oh, my God. Did I not say that? I can't You're say good. that on this channel. Sorry. Um, you know, and part of me, the, the, the hot dog gas station eating side of me is certainly intrigued on Rumble Johnson and Yoel Romero at 205 under the Bellator banner, which is very possible. But the real answer is uh, Wei Li Zhang against Rose Nama Yunus with uh, – Wang Zhuzhu and in and and maybe uh, Yao Ming in attendance there. Uh, do it in China. It's that's the best division in the sport outside of men's lightweight and maybe men's bantamweight. But strawweight is always all killer. And this is a style matchup that oh god, champion against former champion. I love every single thing about this fight. I need it. I want it. Give it to me right now, Aaron. No. I like the I like the very deep cut of Wang Zhuzhu, the uh, three point specialist out of China from the uh, mid nineties or perhaps early two thousands. I don't know. My years have all come together now. Uh, all right, uh, Sean. 
Yeah, if there's a theme here for me with heavyweights, and I, I, everything Mark just said, I have to echo everything he just said. For me, for John Jones versus the winner, really, uh, of Stipe versus Francis Ngannou. Those are two very different fights, whether he gets Stipe or whether he gets Francis. I agree, Francis versus John, to me, is one of the biggest non-Conor McGregor fights in the entire sport. Just every aspect of that, the aesthetic of it alone, you put them on the poster, like that's such an easy sell for so many people. The Stipe fight is fun too, though. Like Stipe is the heavyweight goat. The idea of John going up there and actually fighting Stipe is a very, very different just prospect than the idea of the Ngannou fight, but it is intriguing as well. And I, the idea of just John at heavyweight alone is, is hyper intriguing to me. I know this is one we've all been waiting for for a long time. Like you said, Brian, you were writing about this seven years ago and we're still talking about it. Uh, so for me, it is John Jones versus the winner of that fight. Yeah, Jones again was my pick as well. I just think that there's very few pay, few fights that are as intriguing. Um, you know, the phone's ringing right now. We're trying to get uh, John Jones and and uh, Naganu on the line to to set this one up. Uh, last year's picks: uh, Jones versus Adesonia, uh, Pereira. Al- sorry, Michelle Pereira versus Israel Adesonia was one of the picks. Uh, Habib versus GSP, Jones versus Naganu, and the only one that came to fruition, my pick: Habib versus Gaethje. Um, Surprise fighter of 2020. I know we're, we're running a little bit low on time. Let's blast through these ones. Uh, Sean, your surprise fighter of 2020. It's tough not to say Kevin Holland, right? He comes out of here out of nowhere and really just becomes almost close to a title contender. I wouldn't say he's there yet, but he is very close at 5-0 and oh in, in seven months. It's pretty outlandish, to, to be frank. But for me, Charles Oliveira, man. Charles Oliveira has really taken this year and grabbed it by the horns. And he is, he is someone who has a bizarre career trajectory because for a very long time he was just sort of that middling guy who was fighting extremely tough competition and winning some losing some even when he moved up to in weight after all his weight struggles at featherweight he ended every lightweight win by begging and pleading to go back down to featherweight it was such a weird road that we've taken with this guy but now he is really you can't talk about lightweight without talking about charles oliver he is one of the main players there i'm going with him brian I uh, got in that same vein, Gilbert Burns. Here's a guy who before this year, I could have told you I'd seen him fight six, seven times, but I don't think I could have told you much about him or, or I had a deep passion for knowing that what he's done this calendar year and getting himself into the title picture and, and announcing himself as a complete fighter. I've been very impressed, even though he got the title fight pulled out from under him. We'll hopefully see it early next year. Mark. That's a good pull on Burns because that was all kind of earlier on in the year. He hasn't fought since uh, pre-pandemic. But my pick is the pandemic MVP, Mr. COVID, Kevin Holland. He's 5-0 and all since May, all empty arena shows. Just beat Jacare last week. I mean, just an incredibly impressive run for, for that gentleman who I think wants to fight on Saturday probably, uh, knowing his, his uh, recent run. Mike. So since we didn't have like a specific criteria for doing this, uh, obviously these guys went with people who kind of surprised them in a good way with their accomplishments. I'm going to go the other way and say Sean O'Malley. He surprised me for his handling of his loss, just his demeanor since, you know, he still has on his Twitter that he's 13 and 0, just completely ignoring the fact that he lost decisively to Cheeto Vera. And I think it's been, as someone mentioned, I can't remember earlier, it's been a big hit to his brand. I think at the beginning of this year, when he got that win in March or whatever it was, it seemed like a rocket ship was strapped to this guy's back. He goes in there and loses once. And I don't recall many people handling a loss worse. I think it's been a, just a really bad look for him. And that's been a big surprise to me. Yeah. If you want to go bad, yeah. if you want to go bad surprise, Tony Ferguson's a good pick too. I think of where he was a year ago right now. My pick's Bobby Green. Um, I know we're kind of looking at Kevin Holland and I, I wouldn't say that Green has had the success of Kevin Holland. In fact, he lost his last fight to Thiago Moises, but 
he's always been a guy that's sort of been inactive. You, you see him every now and then. Then suddenly he had like five fights in the span of four months. He was doing really well. He was talking in the cage. Very similar uh, circumstances to Holland, but Holland was always kind of active. Whereas Bobby Green, you'd see him fight once every year, every two years. It was cool to see him kind of become one of these pandemic stars uh, for a time. I know the momentum kind of uh, faded away, but uh, I think we have to remember how special it was that this guy was just every month seemingly coming in, winning a fight against a good lightweight and continuing on his way. Um, and finally, who do you want to see debut in the UFC in 2021? Someone who's not currently signed to the roster. Mike. Uh, Alex Pereira. I think uh, that is the, Ooh, the one, obviously, one. the Ooh, former. Well done. That is a good well pick. Done. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the one I don't think we need to explain. We obviously know his you know, kickboxing resume. We know his history with Israel Adesanya. I think uh, you know it's coming. I don't know if we're ever going get, to get that Izzy rematch in MMA, but I think there's some potential there, and he could be an amazing addition to the UFC. All right. Uh, I'll preface this by saying this is a no-pal zone, so just no jokes, nothing like that. Mark, go ahead. You're up. <laughs> Maybe the toughest challenge for Kamaru Usman in the world, it could be Douglas Lima, the Bellator welterweight champion. And I'm not sure what his contract status is. He's still the champ over there in Bellator. But that guy is a fantastic welterweight. His kickboxing, his leg kicks, his anti-wrestling. I mean, the guy is just tremendous. I would love to see him fight one of the top welterweights in the world. I think he is one of the top welterweights in the world. And, man, I, I would just be uh, – I'd be jazzed to see him in the, in the UFC in 2021. Brian. I kind of hold it against you that you threw out that Logan brother disclaimer thinking because you're talking about me, Paul brothers, excuse me. That was meant I'm for gonna, you. Yes. I know. Like if I'm going to come out and be like Logan versus Rogan is going to be a killer next December on paper. Um, so because of that, I'll violate the spirit of your rules. You said someone not signed to UFC. I'm going to pick somebody who is signed to UFC, Michael freaking Chandler. Okay. That's, yeah, because pick. that announcement was handled in a, in a, maybe not the best way. Like he's here. But he's going to be the backup fighter maybe if we need him. Uh, can we get this guy a monster fight and just sign it right now? I need to see how good he is comparative to this historically deep lightweight era in the UFC. Sean? Yeah, I actually have Michael Chandler here written down on my sheet, but Mike Bond coming with, with – it just blew my mind with that Alex Pereira <laughs> pick. That, I'm changing. I'm audibling to that. That is a, a great pick, and he's absolutely right. We haven't seen much from Alex in MMA but what we have seen, or at least recently, is very, very impressive. And obviously, he has the history with this Izzy. It seems like he's taking this very, very seriously, and he sees the money that's, that's being made over in MMA compared to kickboxing. That's a great pick, and I'm audibly into that. that that's mine. Yeah, I'll do the same, but I'll tell you who I had written down, which is Ghassan Magomed Sharapov, the younger brother of Zabit, uh, 20 years old, featherweight, five foot eleven. Looks like he's going to have a bright future in the sport. Uh, thank you guys for doing this with me. This has been our 2020 MMA Journalist Roundtable, summing up the year, looking ahead to the next year. Appreciate everybody's time. Hope to do this again next year with you folks. And uh, enjoy your holidays. And uh, until next year when we can hopefully see each other again in person, we're out. <laughs>